Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Simply Amazing. Uh, I'm Tim Ryder from Metsmerized. With me today is a special guest, uh, my fellow Metsmerized brethren, uh, fellow senior writer over at MMO, also a news assistant at the New York Times, my buddy Matthew Brownstein. Matt, what's happening, man? Hey, Tim. What's going on, buddy? Thanks for having me on, man. Oh, thanks for coming on. This is uh, I'm excited. I've been looking forward to having you on. I know we spoke about it, and uh, the stars have, have aligned, and, and here we are. Absolutely, man. Yeah, I told you from the get-go, I was really looking forward to uh, jumping on one day, and uh, I've been an avid listener of the podcast, and you know everyone on MMO and yourself do a, a wonderful job, so it's, uh, it's really an honor to be on with you today, man. I'm looking forward to speaking with you. Oh, thanks so much for the support, and, and same here, man. So let's jump right into it. Uh, Thursday was a big day for Major League Baseball. Uh, the Houston Astros, uh, I guess you could say, I guess the Houston Astros were expected to face the music to, to a certain extent on Thursday. Um, they kind of flaked on that. Uh, you know, two of the more prominent players on that 2017 championship team um, between Alex Bregman and Jose, uh, Jose Altuve, they kind of kicked off the, the press conference. It was in the morning. I didn't catch it live. I caught maybe the first, like, five minutes of it, and I had to get back to work. So, uh, again, I, I caught up on it later in the day, but uh, I did get to see the comments from Altuve and Bregman. Um, very, I think, fell short of all expectations. Uh, totally. I think it. I think it was a. It was kind of a, you know, a very stand-up move of Dusty Baker to go out there and kind of say more than anybody else did before the owner Jim Crane started taking questions. But Matt, I, I have to assume you're in the same boat as everyone else here. Do you think that uh, Altuve and Bregman kind of skated here? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, I, I watched it, and, I mean, it's funny. Like you mentioned, Dusty Baker kind of taking, you know, try to take the, some of the heat off, and, and he seemed the most, most contrite out of anybody, and he wasn't even involved. Um, you know, it, it's amazing to me. You know, it definitely felt very rehearsed, and, and I know they, the Astros met yesterday for about an hour, and I'm sure we're discussing what they were going to say today, but, you know, gosh, if they thought that today, after all this, this is going to quell any you know, any, any more questions or this is going to, you know, put an end to this, they were, you know, horribly wrong because I think if anything, you know, the league is even more upset. I mean, we heard the report the other day from Bob Melvin who said that, you know, he contacted along with other major league teams, major league baseball about the rumors of the Astros cheating, which has been going on for several years. And, you know, major league baseball didn't do anything. So, you know, this is nothing new. And I think a lot of teams are still, you know, upset and rightfully so. Um, Bregman and Altuve came off very rehearsed. You know, they each spoke for about, gosh, what, 35, 40 seconds each. Um, you know, it was only until afterwards when Carlos Correa and then Altuve himself talked to the media where they opened up a little bit more um, and, and, you know, were a little bit more honest, I felt. But, you know, it just felt, you know, it just felt very rehearsed. There was very little contrition, I felt. Um, and, you know, and Jim Crane to not even use the word cheating. You know, they asked him specifically point blank, you know, do, do you consider this cheating? And he said, you know, we broke the rules. You know, so he's, he's trying to skirt around it a little bit. And I, and I kind of get it to a degree. Somebody on uh, Twitter made a good point saying, you know, technically they are under lawsuit, you know, by uh, the uh, Toronto ex-pitcher, uh, Mike Bolsinger. And uh, so maybe they had to be careful with some of the wording. You know, I don't know. But then again, right afterwards, you know, Carlos Correa was – pretty adamant in his comments about uh, Beltran and uh, Altuve was a little bit more upfront than he was in the uh, press conference. But yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you, Tim. It just seemed kind of like a sham and it really just seemed like that, you know, they were there basically saying, you know, we're sorry we got caught <laughs> and we're looking forward to 2020. Any questions, you know, and then just kind of skirting around everything else. So it really didn't feel as remorseful and as contrite as I think uh, most of the fans or almost all the fans were hoping for. Oh, oh definitely. And, and I think that, you know, fans, um, fellow ball players. I think anyone who has any tie to the game whatsoever, it must have just come away so disappointed in, I guess, in the first segment of the day down in uh, down in Fort Lauderdale today. But I guess the one quote, I mean, and Jim Crane, he just he just made things so much worse. Um, he was just so callous and so crass. He had one quote, we won the World Series and we'll leave it at that. That's just so disrespectful to the history of the game in my eyes. Um, it, it, you have to wonder where this sense of um, just – he thinks he's bulletproof. And, and, and if he really believes that he didn't do any damage to the game, I, I, I don't – I mean, 
I don't think any words that me, you, or anyone else says are, are going to change that. That's just borderline delusional. <laughs> but, I, I mean, this is just one man's opinion. Um, standing in, Coming out in front of the press was such a – you know, it could have – it could have calmed everything. It could have not calmed it, but at least put it a, a different spin on it. And I think they, they really stay screwed up every aspect of trying to make things right. And I do give credit to guys like Correa and Springer and the guys in the clubhouse who really did come out and seemed truly remorseful. And they really, they wanted to, uh, I wish I had Correa's quote in front of me, but you know, he doesn't want it to leave any leave the taste in anyone's mouth that cheating is okay. And I'm paraphrasing him there, but that means a lot to come out and say, guys, we, this is exactly what we did. And we're terribly sorry. That's kind of all we need to hear. But just, I guess trying to skate around that and give a, a, a rehearsed kind of speech with no emotion whatsoever. And I'm really looking at, at Bregman. I guess personally, I was hoping Bregman would really stand up and, Something, say, say something similar to what Correa or Springer said. Just come right forward and say, hey, guys, this is this is what we did, and we feel absolutely awful. And, and I, I guess he did say that in a sense, but, boy, so much damage was done. Um, you have players coming out. I, I don't know if you, you read um, – oh, boy, I can't think of his name now. Uh, Tampa Bay to Pittsburgh. Fantastic young pitcher. Uh, hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm like I, too. <laughs> it just it, it, it completely slipped my mind. I don't have notes in front of me. I'm unprepared. Chris Archer? Yes, Chris Archer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And he came out today, uh, Thursday, I should say, and he said he, he was speaking with a a friend on the Astros, and he didn't use that friend that player's name, but uh, the player reached out to him during this is during the 2017 season, and, and said, "Hey, you're tipping your pitches," and. Um, you know, just wanted to let you know because we beat you up hard tonight. And it turns out that he wasn't tipping his pitches. And, and like, to go that extra mile, you know, you're ruining guys' careers. Now, I don't know if you saw it, but Tim Healy from Newsday uh, put out a, a, a very intriguing report on Thursday evening regarding Mets reliever Seth Lugo. Now, Seth Lugo contends that him getting um, – he, he, he started in Houston – Ooh, this is 2017 towards the end of the season. I don't have the dates in front of me. Started off the game very, very well. Uh, got really touched up in the fifth inning. And uh, he, he felt that he made all his pitches. And, uh, you know, he's pointing to the Astros kind of shifting his career from a starter with a lot of promise because he was that type of guy who showed a ton of promise in any role he was thrown into at the beginning. And, again, this is 2017. He's still very, very new to the New York Mets. And he says after that uh, implosion in that later in that game, um, Mets brass kind of came to him and said, hey, we're going to, um, I guess in so many words, we're going to shift you into a bullpen role. We're going to see how you do there. Right. And, you know, the, you have to think that a lot of players have similar thoughts to what Lugo has. Um, now, we've seen the results. Lugo's been an absolute stud in the bullpen, and it might have been for the best however he got there. But this is a, a person just like you and me with dreams and aspirations, and he still says how much he wants to start. You know, it, it, this does the, the ripple effects of what happened in 2017 and what's happening now. They're just going to continue to be outstretched. Now, do you see, Matt, a, um, a parallel between, I guess, the unfortunate events that happened, but the even more unfortunate, I guess, kind of waves that could be coming from this and, and tying in Lugo. Do you think that that might have an, I guess might have a, uh, there might be a, a, a link there between the two. Oh, I think no question. I think, you know, you hit it on the head. I think that these are just going to continue to come out with players looking back at, you know, starts or, or and, and that they had in, you know, 2017 and even 2018 where, um, you know, they played Houston at home and, you know, they had uh, coincidental or not, they had bad starts, you know, and, um, you know, the one thing with Lugo, I will say, and, and that the start I'm looking at, it, I'm looking at it right now from baseball reference. Um, you know, he went five innings, eight hits, four and in runs uh, in Houston, but, 
Um, and then what, like you said, what they told him afterwards is that, you know, they don't think they should start anymore in part due to the struggles, uh, that he had the third time through the lineup. Now, if you look at starts prior that, that Lugo had that year, it wasn't necessarily like he was, you know, lighting up the world as a starter. I mean, there was a few starts that he had where he was going five innings and two starts before that, August 11th, five and a third, five earned runs against Philly. Um, you know, start before that against the Dodgers, five and two thirds, three earned runs. Um, start before that against Seattle, five innings, five earned runs. Um, he had a start against the Nationals in July where he gave up six earned runs. So, you know, it wasn't like uh, there wasn't, you know, already kind of a history of him not being able to get, you know, guys through the third time through the order. So um, in that regard, I'll, I'll kind of, you know, say that Lugo is probably in the role that he should be in best right now, especially considering the state of the Mets bullpen that, you know, he is so valuable, uh, you know, as he's been the last few years. But yes, back to the point of, you know, whether or not this altered his trajectory. I mean, it certainly it certainly couldn't have helped, um, and I think that's that's being said for a lot of players now, and a lot of pitchers in particular that are going back and looking and looking at these starts they had against the Astros, and you know seeing that you know these guys did cheat, and whether or not you know and listen at the end of the day, knowing what pitch is coming is always going to be you know beneficial to the hitter. So uh, I understand they still have to go out and you know swing the bat and still you know make contact and all that, but it definitely is an advantage. So I think that this is going to yes continue to be a story that's going to come out, and I think it's going to be more and more leaks are coming out. I mean, you know, just this week alone, you know, we had the Wall Street Journal report coming out uh, about Codebreaker and, the, you know, how the front office essentially kind of started the whole cheating scandal, which then took on to bigger, you know, a bigger role with the players and coaches. And then we had the report from um, Ken Rosenthal and uh, Mark Herrig about uh, Beltran's role. But, uh, yeah, this is not going to go anywhere anytime soon, Tim. And I think we're just going to keep continuing to see more and more players speak out about it. And, and rightfully so. I don't blame them at all. I mean, if I, I would be extremely pissed uh, if I were a player and, and, you know, felt like I was wrong, like, you know, by this whole thing. And I think everyone has the right to, to feel that way. Uh, oddly enough, I think the Yankees and, and the Dodgers are showing more class than anyone right now. And I know everyone has their little digs and they've said their little pieces, but – you know, these are two teams that missed out on potentially huge rewards oh, against, by losing to the Astros. And, and they've kind of almost taken the high road. The Dodgers have almost completely, but even the Yankees, they're, they're almost taking the high road here. And, and that's refreshing to see. But what's kind of blown my mind is how in Codebreaker, what, what, well, there's two things that have blown my mind. Codebreaker, using it. Before the Astros were using it in real time, Codebreaker was completely legal. You, they're allowed to use video to dissect, um, I guess, di- dissect signs and right. then kind of bring that 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 data onto the field with them in their minds or, or whatever. But Absolutely. once they started using it in real time, that's when they, they crossed that line, which is a thin line, but it's a a steel plate of a line. But um the second part of that is is how how these how these players were using the the warning signals, the knocks, the bangs on the trash cans. Some guys just attacked those fastballs when they didn't hear the bang. Others other guys would, you know, they would find themselves in an O two hole and they would kinda oh here comes a breaking pitch, I'm laying off. Here comes a slider, I'm laying off. And it, it kind of bucks a whole a pitcher's entire agenda like oh these are my these are my out pitches these are my o2 this is what i go to and this guy's laying off what's going on here and and at the time and i, I think marcus stroman said it best like at the time it's like boy i'm giving these guys my best and they're laying off what's going on and then they're finding out like oh this is you know it, it's just such a messy messy situation Oh, no, no, no doubt. And, and like you said, just the evolution of where the, you know, the sign stealing scheme started with, um, which, you know, if they kept it at Codebreaker and they kept it just, you know, kind of dissecting the data and just, you know, feeding it to the players, not in real time, but just, you know, before the game and, and understanding, you know, tendencies and using all that. I mean, that that's all fair game. You know, absolutely. Even, you know, even if there's a guy on second base and, and he's picking up signs, you know, that's gamesmanship. That's been something that's been going on for, you know, as long as baseball's been around. And But when you're starting to use technology and then use that in real time to, um, you know, use the instruments that they did with the banging and then even a little bit of the whistling, you know, that's just not, that's just where you cross the line. That's where you cross the barrier of, of, of you know, have gamesmanship and being and cheating and and like you said, then you're taking away a major weapon for pitchers where now they're saying like you know what, you know how are they picking up on my on my stuff? How are they knowing what's coming and 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 how am I not putting guys away that I usually do? 
And, you know, of course, that's where the whispers start. And that's where you have to think that, you know, for all these years where there have been rumors about the Astros cheating and, you know, unfortunately how Major League Baseball didn't look into them until, you know, Mike Fires broke the, broke the story with the Athletic. But, um, you know, it, it's just, it's just sad that it feels like it could have been stopped a long time ago if, uh, you know, apparently all these teams were complaining about them and, and Major League Baseball stood idly by and did nothing. That's just a real shame in itself. But, um, yeah, the fact of the matter is, you know, a lot of guys feel wronged and rightfully so. And, you know, the, the Astros didn't do any favors today with their press conference. And especially Jim Crane, um, you know, really didn't put out any, you know, any of the fires. I think if anything, they just intensified it. And, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see how the Astros are, uh, you know, are going to be treated, especially on the road this year. Um, you know, I'm, I, I'd have to imagine that, you know, there might be some contentious battles and, and some, some little bit of, you know, heated tension that, and even potentially even some brawls we might see just because players and managers and organizations are really upset. And I mean, this is, you know, of the grandest proportions. I mean, this, it's just so maddening to see what took place and then just to hear just the rehearsed, you know, almost just very nonchalant, you know, barely their remorse, you know, and, and, and that's what is really upsetting, I think, for me, is that they had an opportunity today to, to not necessarily, you know, obviously, it's not going to completely go away from what they say or not what they don't say today, but I feel like they could have done a lot more to um, put some of these flames out, and, and I think they only hurt their case today, and it, it's going to be interesting to see where it goes from here, but, I mean, definitely, there's going to be more and more stuff coming out, and we're, obviously, we're still waiting for the Red Sox punishment, um, and, you know, we're going to see what happens there, but it, it, it's really unfortunate for baseball. But the one thing I will say, too, is that, and there was a quote, I think it was from Joe Musgrave in the, um, in the, the latest athletic uh, piece about Beltran from Rosenthal, where he said, you know, if, if Major League Baseball investigated every Major League team as thoroughly as they did the Houston Astros, um, fans would be, and I'm paraphrasing here, fans would be, you know, pretty much upset or mortified what they find out. And I believe that. I mean, I think all teams have skeletons in their closet, and, and there's, you know, been cheating rumors even with, you know, the Dodgers and the Yankees themselves. Um, so I think that there's going to be more that comes out, and I think there might be even more teams that are revealed here. Um, but it, it's, it's a black mark on, this, on the sport, no question, and it's, uh, it's going to be tricky to see how they navigate through all of this. Well, I think you made a very good point when bringing up um, what type of on-field retribution the Astros might be in for. And, and, and I don't think in any way we're encouraging um, – you know, uh, uh, you know, beanball wars or brawls, um, but right. these are these are professional athletes fighting for extremely lucrative, you know, roster spots. Y- you have to wonder whether um, those those tensions and those emotions are going to boil over uh, as as they go from city to city, team team to team. Uh, it's 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 certainly going to be exciting, but I really wanted to try and tie Lugo into moving into the Mets, but we we stayed on path, and there's nothing wrong with that because that's the type of show we have here. This is a uh, a freestyle show, if you if you would like to put it that way. We we <laughs> we go off the cuff, um, but moving to the Mets because as 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 we were going to say, uh, Lugo kind of brings uh, such a wrinkle to this current Mets bullpen. The Mets bullpen is just on paper greatly improved this year. There's a lot of talent on this roster. Matt, the Mets have been, uh, and and this has come from guys like Michael Conforto, Jacob deGrom, the new manager, Louis Rojas. There's a lot of confidence. There's some lofty expectations uh, in a very tough division. Um, You know, everyone kind of has their, eyes and minds set on the postseason and in spring training that's kind of par for the course but are it seems like they have the tools on this roster to kind of back up these these uh these goals matt do you do you share the optimism that that you know i do <laughs> i do you know i do um i think and i i know mike mayer um has has voiced his opinion very strongly and i agree that you know there's def- there definitely was more work to be done this off season especially considering this is a win now team um you know what we saw obviously in the cano and diaz deal uh and then putting that into you know a lot of the core players are going to be you know free agents in the next two or three years and you also don't want to keep wasting uh, you know, prime years from the Grom and Syndergaard. So I think this year, though, they, you know, they do have on paper they have a great looking team. Um, you know, offensively they look like they're going to be you know a juggernaut. Um, I know actually Mike Petriello of um, of uh, MLB put out a article an article today about uh, looking at 2020 projections, and I think he was looking at I think the qualifiers were 300 plate appearances, 
and a weighted runs created plus of at least 100. And the, there's three teams in the National League that are slated to have seven such players, uh, the Dodgers, the Cubs, and the Mets. And uh, I don't think that's uh, out of the question either. I mean, listen, you have, you know, Pete Alonso, Jeff McNeil, uh, hopefully a healthy Robinson Cano, Michael Conforto, Nimmo, J.D. Davis. Uh, you know, they, they have on paper what looks to be a very solid team that is ready, you know, that is going to contend. Um, you know, losing, you know, hey, listen, for the Nationals to lose Rendon, that's a big hit. Um, for the Braves to lose Donaldson, that's a big hit. Uh, I think the, the Mets, you know, pair up you know, very favorably in the NL East, uh, you know, bearing any health-related uh, issues. But, um, you know, uh, of course, I'm always going to be a little pessimistic. You know, I, would, I, I want the Mets to go out and acquire, you know, the best talent they possibly can for a win-now team. And, you know, I feel like they could have, short, you know, short up the bullpen a little bit more. I think they could have brought in maybe another utility guy. Like, I know um, Mike's always talked about Brock Holt, which I think would have been a good name. Um, but yes, you know, I think, you know, hope springs eternal. And I think that, you know, with this current roster, um, and again, you know, hopefully everybody stays healthy and you have, you know, um, a good year from the rotation. I think the Mets have just as good a shot as anybody in the NL East to, you know, to really be a contender and to, uh, and, and to, to do well this year. I think there's no question. And again, they, they shouldn't waste these years. You have opportune years with the rotation that you have and with the players that you currently have on the roster, you know, they need to do everything in the power to, to get to the playoffs. I mean, the fans, fans are hungry, man. We, we've been waiting for this and we've been waiting for a team that, you know, is, is going to not disappoint us at the end of the year. And, and, um, you know, it's just been a long time coming. So I think that as, as currently constituted, yes, this team looks like they can compete now, whether that's going to be the case or not, it's going to, you know, a lot of it's going to depend on bounce back years from the bullpen, you know, and Edwin Diaz and, and Jerry's Familia. Oh, without a doubt. I think um, those two are going to be a big fulcrum point of the success of the Mets this year. Um, I think the continuing development of guys like Rosario, uh, Davis, Smith, um, the depth of this roster, or the positional side of the roster, I should say, because, you know, if you have guys like Cespedes, and I know I might be getting ahead of myself, Lowry, healthy and contributing on any level, boy, the the – <laughs> the dynamic of this team just takes such a change because then you have weapons coming off the bench in, in pretty much any pinch hitting role, whatever you have options. And um, that's kind of a characteristic of good, talented contending teams. Now, Rojas, he, he made, I guess he, he stated it as this roster is built to win. Um, and I agree with you and, and what Mike Mayer have, have been <laughs> pointing out all winter is that, you know, this team is truly is built for built to win. And there are ifs and there's a, there's a lot riding on, um, I guess, holding out hope that things can continue on certain trajectories for certain players. Right. But when the Mets go out and spend less money than the Marlins, when the Mets are this close to contention as as they are, as is, I should say, or as. Yeah, I think I think my grandma was right there. You're right. But, <laughs> If they're this close and they're going out and spending less money than the Marlins, who are just pretty much just trying to stay out of the basement this season, and they had they did make really fantastic additions to kind of bolster a young roster with right. um, some veteran pres- presence and such. But boy, I mean, we've we've gone over the luxury tax implications plenty of times on this show, and uh, the penalties for someone in the Mets position for going over would be minimal, uh, and, you know. Besides them being publicly broke, um, they have no other reason not to go out there and make a true push. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see if Brody, as he says, he's always looking to improve the roster. I wouldn't be shocked if they still have a couple of moves left in their pocket before the end of spring training because there's still a lot of names left out there. Uh, you had Jared Dyson just signed with the Pirates today, and he, he, he came out and said, you know, I this wasn't my first choice. I'm paraphrasing. I don't have it in front of me, but he's like, I took what I could get, and that's pretty much what he said in in so many words. Right. But you know, that's just still a talented player. In in some fans' eyes, I'm sure they'd rather have Jared Dyson than Jake Marisnik on the roster. And that's not a knock towards Jake Marisnik, but it's kind of six in one half, uh, six in one hand, half dozen in the other, um, as far as what they bring to the table. Absolutely, and 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 not to not to cut in on you, but I was going no, to say with 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 you know with Marisnik too, and also you can you can look at Billy Hamilton signing a minor league deal with the Giants, you know, about a week ago. 
Um, I think right. your point is well taken. I mean, the Mets gave up two prospects to go get Mariznick. Now, Mariznick, you know, does have tremendous, tremendous speed, and he is a dynamic uh, defender in center field, no question. But is it worth the cost of giving up, you know, two prospects uh, and depth players, especially one in Blake Taylor, um, to go out when you have these guys available that are going to, you know, either just sign for money or a minor league deal? And, and, and you know, that, that's a point well taken. I think that's one that fans don't always recognize as much. It's like, yeah, you know, we just traded two players, you know, but we're getting a nice guy back. But, you know, also you have to look at who's available and, you know, what the cost is. And, you know, for a team like the Mets that are short, you know, on depth in terms of the rotation and, you know, have a, a lower, you know, lower level rated minor league system, you know, when you trade, you know, players, you know, from that system to go get guys that are, you know, available, uh, you know, on the waiver wire or are going to be available, for, you know, free agency or are going to be available on minor league deals. You know, I think you really have to think a little bit more about these kind of deals and, and where you're and how you're acquiring them. Oh, I agree 100 percent. I think Blake Taylor is going to turn out to be a stud. And, um, you know, if Jake Marizic contributes for the role or in the role that he's expected to, and he can be that kind of versatile fourth outfielder, late inning replacement, pinch hitter type guy, even though his bat really isn't much to brag about. But um, I think it has potential to be a nice move. But, boy, you hate to give up young talent for, um, you know, a cog, so to say, in Marisnik. Um Moving on to the rotation, uh, Stroman, Marcus Stroman had some curious, not curious, uh, outstanding comments. Uh, I had nowhere I got curious from. Uh, outstanding, just, just absolutely teeming with, uh, with confidence comments on Thursday. Um, and this is, you know, this is a guy whose confidence, he says it himself, his confidence never wavers. And, and that's more than evident. Um, you have a guy like Marcus Stroman who finished out last season on a very, very strong note. I think a 1.88 ERA over his last four starts. Yep. Um, he really looked to get comfortable. He was using his cutter more. He was finding that to uh, allow him to open up his sinker. And, and, and that was, you know, things really clicked for him. You have this guy as your number three starter with the two-time reigning NL Cy Young Award winner, Jacob deGrom, in the front. Um, and Noah Syndergaard's, you know, Sandwich between them, you have to imagine that um, if the Mets if the Mets do get to the postseason, th- this is just going to be a, a force to be reckoned with, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's a three headed monster that you know can be you know matched up with any three. I think you know in a short series, no question. Um, I love Stroman's energy. I really do. And, and he, like you said, he's not one that's short ever on that kind of enthusiasm, a little bit of cockiness, and I like that. Um, you know, he's, he's used to this too. I mean, this guy, this is a guy that grew up in Long Island, so he knows, you know, what it takes to play in New York. And, you know, he played in the AL East for many years, the Blue Jays, so he visited the Yankees often, and, uh, I think he thrives on it. You know, he, he talked about, and, you know, today that he has the best core in the league, which if anybody has watched and followed, uh, Marcus Stroman on Twitter this offseason, you'll see all the incredible workouts that this guy does. And, and one was the bear crawl, which I'm sure Tim, you saw where he was balancing the glass of wine on his back. And apparently he said that he did it, he did that in just one take, which for me probably would have been twenty, and I would have gotten maybe two two steps, and I would have fallen. So uh, <laughs> kudos to him for that. But yeah, I mean, listen, Stroman, like you mentioned, he's he finished the year off really strong in his last four starts, a one point eight eight ERA, uh, five forty opponents OPS, um, and uh, I think you touched on it too with um, I think it was maybe last episode, the episode before, where he talked about his um, his cutter usage and. Uh, you know, I, I had the chance to interact with, with Marcus on Twitter about his cutter usage because I had noticed that he's right. using his cutter more with two strikes. And That, uh, that was you. That's right. Yeah. I, I just, the light just clicked above my head. I said, oh, yeah, that, Matt, Matt's the one who got that whole thing started. All right, please continue because yeah, this is coming straight from the source now. Well, it's funny because, I mean, I love, and I, I know you do, uh, Baseball Savant website is phenomenal. And I just go to the search engine all the time, and I'm just looking for trends or, you know, things that are, you know, maybe have – Pitches have, have started doing differently or, you know, usages of pitches, so on and so forth. And I was like, let me see. You know, I, I saw his cutter usages up and I looked at two strikes in particularly. And with the Blue Jays in 2019, he used his cutter with two strikes just under 20% of the time, 19.9%. Uh, and that, and it still had good results. I mean, he, it was a 283 expected weighted on base average with the Blue Jays. Now when it comes to the Mets, that 19.9 goes up to 34.2% and his expected weighted on base average shoots down to 201 with two strikes. So, what he had said when I asked him, you know, I had noticed this trend with you with the Mets. Was there, you know, is this a conscious, conscious effort that you did to, you know, alter your approach? And, and I think, you know, he said something to the effect of, 
that, you know, he, with, he figured something out with this cutter with the Mets and that he was able to be big and small with his pitch when he wanted to and kind of manipulated it as he, as he wanted to. So clearly he found something here with the Mets. Uh, and I know I think Jacob Resnick brought it up too in a past uh, podcast where he talked about uh, Brad Brock using his cutter more with the Mets. Um, so this is something that, you know, potentially Mets coaches have seen and, and are, are telling these guys, hey, listen, you know, start utilizing these pitches more and this count, you know, and these are all things that you'll notice with, you know, digging deep into the analytics and the metrics and stuff. And that's, I think, one of the things, a little going off sidetrack a little bit here, but one of the things that I'm really excited for, one of the hires that I think doesn't get enough attention is the hiring of Jeremy Hefner as pitching coach because he is one that is so involved with the metrics and, and having been a conduit for the Twins where he would, you know, get this information from the front office and then send it out to the players in a way that they understand it. Um, he's going to be huge with the Mets, and I think that's going to – and he's already worked with a lot of guys in the offseason, as we know. I think that's going to be something that's really going to be beneficial for these guys, and it looks like Stroman's one that really utilizes the numbers well. And, um, yeah, I mean, Stroman's – he's an exciting dude, man. I'm really excited to have him for a full year, and, uh, you know, he is never short on energy at all. And uh, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I'm really looking forward to having him uh, in, you know, the middle of the rotation there. Oh, definitely. And, and he's got, you know, he's got a lot to pitch for. He said it on Thursday where he's very, he's excited to head into free agency. Um, do you feel if he puts up uh, a solid season and all parties are interested, do you feel he's a candidate to have to sign a long-term extension in Queens? Oh, I think so. I definitely think so. Um, you know, especially considered that, you know, they, the Mets have to start thinking a little bit more long-term. Um, you know, like I mentioned earlier in the, in the, in the podcast, um, you know, a lot of, you know, some of their core players, you know, the next two or three years are, are going to be, you know, up for free agency. So the Mets have some, and that's part of the reason why they're a win now team. And I think the Mets are going to have some, you know, hard decisions they're going to have to make as to who they want to keep and who they're going to let, you know, possibly go elsewhere and, and test free agency. But yeah, Stroman definitely is one that I think, especially if he has a big year in a full season with the Mets this year. Um, in his, you know, his age 29 season, uh, there's no reason why they shouldn't look to, to sign him long term. Um, you know, pair him with the Grom. And obviously, too, they're going to have to make this, you know, real, real decision on Noah Syndergaard soon, too, because, um, you know, the Mets don't have a ton of high pitching prospects coming up. You know, they have some lower level guys, obviously, to be excited for. You know, Matt Allen is one of them. And, uh, you know, David Peterson looks to have a bounce back year. And I think he might be even a, a candidate to, to appear in 2020 with the Mets. But uh, I think definitely they have to think long term here. And Stroman makes sense, uh, you know, especially a guy that is from the area and has really seemed to embrace uh, the Mets and their culture and their fans in such a short amount of time. Uh, he would be one I would definitely look to to extend. Absolutely. Well, they they kind of just had this, the chance to to do this with Zach Wheeler, and I'm not sure if you caught up on uh, Zach Wheeler's comments from um from Phil from Philly's camp on Thursday. Uh, Greg Joyce of the New York Post uh, was speaking with Zach Wheeler, who said he's not surprised he never heard back from the Mets last December before signing with the Phillies for five years, 118 million dollars. <laughs> when asked why he wasn't surprised, he says because it's them. It's how they roll. Ouch. And I'm pretty sure Zach Wheeler just became my favorite Philadelphia Philly ever. <laughs> um, but, I mean, they just uh, – he's uh, – Zach Wheeler's 29. He's going to be entering the same uh, – I mean, Stroman's going to be entering that same uh, age season. Um, they kind of had the opportunity. Wheeler made it very clear he wanted to come back to Queens. Um, you know, and this is purely speculation. I think he would have come back for either less years or less money or worked out the contract in a way that would have been team friendly, um, while still, you know, getting the money he was certainly earned and certainly due. But, you know, they, like you said, they have to make these decisions and, you know, I don't blame them for passing on Wheeler at that number. That's a lot of money for a guy who, um, despite, you know, absolutely outstanding advanced metrics, his end his end product was at times inconsistent. When he found his groove, oh, he was just lights out. And I think he's on the trajectory to continue that. And if he can kind of lengthen those stretches of absolutely elite performance and and shorten up those kind of off-kilter starts, um, I think he could really be a, a thorn in the Mets' side for years to come. But when you look at a guy like Syndergaard or Stroman going into next year, or even on the positional side, a guy like Michael Conforto, 
the Mets have so much money coming off the books next year. Um, I think this year is going to say a lot about the direction that this organization is heading. Like you said, there's not a lot of young arms coming up. Uh, the Mets traded away Simeon Woods Richardson and Anthony Kay, arguably their two closest arms um, with major league trajectories for Stroman. Right. So, um, and then they obviously it's done with uh, Cano and Diaz. Oh, that one still hurts because did you see that? Uh, I believe it was MLB.com, but I, I can't be sure. They had Justin Dunn ranked ahead of Michael Waka and Rick Porcello in their best starter rankings. I did not see that, but now that you're telling me this, ouch. Yeah. Man, that Man, it, that does, it does kind of sting, but it, not as much as Jared Kalanick will sting for the next decade or so. Oh, that name <laughs> hey. is going to haunt me forever, I'm telling you. That name is hey. going to absolutely haunt me. You know what? If Cano hits 280 and leads, well, leads, contributes to a World Series title before he leaves, or preferably this year, um, I think it'll be an easier pill to swallow, but it'll still hurt because he looks just like an absolute stud, five tool player uh, to a T. Um, but it's still early. Hopefully, right. uh, yes. <laughs> hopefully. He, it's just, you know, it's amazing at his age and, uh, you know, what he's done already and, and, you know, how far he's. He's moved in these, uh, you know, and again, they're all just ranking, you know, they're all, you know, I mean, organizations use them, obviously, and 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 fans like to look at these at at these rankings for prospects and stuff. But just to see where he's gone in a short amount of time, uh, man, it does it does hurt a little bit because he has the potential. Like you mentioned, he's a five tool talent and he's a young guy and he's a guy that's going to I mean, he could be. I mean, he has a trajectory to possibly be in the majors, even you know, at the end of next end of this year, possibly. I mean, he, the Mariners are, are you know a team that that is obviously rebuilding too and, and looking at their young talent. And uh, Kelnick is going to be entrenched, you know, in the outfield for many years to come with them. And I think he has got the potential to be, you know, the, the next big star to hit the majors. And it just stinks that you know the Mets had him. <laughs> you know, they had him for that moment. And uh, you know, and I think what a lot of fans are upset about too is that if you were going to trade a Kelnick and a Dunn. You know, you probably could have gotten a better package back than a Cano and a Diaz, you know. And, uh, and again, there, I understand that there was, you know, they were moving Bruce and Suarez like as well, and there was money implications and all that. But, man, that, yeah, you know, that name is going to haunt a lot of Met fans for a while, I think. But that's going off topic. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Off topic is that's our thing, man. Just just like just like Zach Wheeler, his dig at oh, his dig at the Mets. It's just you know it's how we roll. <laughs> Absolutely. And listen, I think Wheeler. You know, Wheeler. I think is going to be. I, I think the the big thing with Wheeler and what the Phillies and other teams probably saw um, is you know he has even more potential to be an elite pitcher. And he he, he he's pitched the last two years. You know, like a top of the rotation starter. I mean, you know, if you look at Fangraphs' WAR, he's tied with Aaron Nola for the ninth highest uh, WAR among pitchers over the last two years at 8.9. So, I mean, he has pitched, you know, like a top of the rotation starter. But I think the big thing with him, and there was a great article, I think it was by Ben Clemens in, on Fangraphs this uh, off season, where he talked about how there's another level that Wheeler could even get to with better pitch selection. Um, obviously, you know. Pairing with a, a better pitch framing catcher, Emil Muto, is going to be huge for Wheeler. Having a little bit better, uh, you know, defense behind him as well. But uh, one thing that was really interesting that he that Clemens uh, noted about Wheeler was that um, he gets ahead in the count a lot. Wheeler, but he has trouble sometimes putting guys away. You know, whether it's strikeout or just getting guys to ground out, whatever the case may be. But he looked at the heat map of when he had two strikes and the pitch that Wheeler would so often go to would be his fastball. And uh, he compared it to DeGrom and Wheeler. And DeGrom's heat map, when you look at his two-strike uh, approach with fastballs, are all up in the zone. They're all elevated, right? Wheeler, big red dot right in the middle of the plate. So, you know, it, changing things up with pitch selection, uh, you know, pairing with a better catcher and real Muto, some better defense. You know, the Phillies are banking on the fact that Wheeler can elevate himself to an even higher level uh, of pitching. And, uh, you know, yes, they're taking a big chance because, you know, it's a lot of money they gave him. But, uh, you know, over his last two years, man, this guy's been, this guy's been a solid pitcher. I mean, I, you know, I, I put the stat out there a few times. I mean, uh, the last two years, he's gone at least seven innings 29 times, which is third most of any starter in the majors. Only DeGrom with 40 and Scherzer with 31 have more. So he's a guy that goes deep into games, and he's got electric stuff, you know. So you pair that with better pitch selection, a better catcher, and uh, maybe you get some better results. Oh, for sure. And now I- – I'm sure you recall in 2018 when we really saw Zach, the resurgence of Zach Wheeler after all the injuries, uh, the Forteo shots in the stomach, he started relying on his split finger fastball 
uh, with two strikes. And that was a bona fide weapon throughout that entire year. Right. He kind of abandoned it last year. I would not be shocked to see him adopt that again just because it's such an effective pitch. And I think I think you made a great point with Real Muto behind the plate. He's just going to call a cleaner game. He's going to he's gonna get more strikes for him. Um, it, it's, it, he really he has the potential and the tools to be um, – the ace of that staff. And I know that's kind of designated for Nola at this point, but boy, if Wheeler's on his game, which he really, I mean, as we were just saying, he, he's, he's headed in that direction, but uh, yeah, it could be, uh, it could be scary, but I, I really, he, he, I wish I had the numbers. I know last season he went down, he dropped his split finger usage down to 1% after using it, you know, as a, as a, a bona fide weapon with two strikes throughout pretty much all of 2018. Uh, and he was just baffling guys. It was fun to see. And uh, yeah, like, like you said, um, keeping it fresh just means it, it brings a, such a, a, an advantage to the pitcher. Um, I believe I was say talking about Noah Syndergaard just a couple of weeks ago on Twitter regarding um, him keeping it fresh. And I think hitters are kind of waiting out his secondary stuff and just focusing on that two, that the, the two-seamer, uh, the four-seamer and the sinker. Um, or it, I'm sorry, four-seamer and a two-seamer for, uh, for Noah. But they're kind of waiting those out. And if you, you, know, if you study his, uh, I guess, his pitch location charts, his 3D visualizations and such from Baseball Savant. Oh, you had a great thread on that. I saw that. It was a great thread you had, yeah. It just it kind of makes sense where um, he's become I don't want to say predictable, but if you look at the tunneling, all right, well all of his sliders go here and his curveballs go there. Um, I, I think keeping it fresh and tying it back into Jeremy Hefner, who's going to give him so much more information to use as far as um, I guess setting up a game plan against certain hitters or against certain teams. Um, I think there's a lot of potential for him to take a huge step this year. And I'm just hoping he doesn't price himself out of the Mets' plans. And the same goes for Conforto. Um, you know, these guys should be cornerstones of the franchise moving forward. And uh, it, it all comes back to the Mets have big, big decisions <laughs> to make. And, and you got to hope that uh, the, right, the right people are making the right decisions come when that time comes. And absolutely, and that's you know that's going to be a big question too because now the Mets are going back into you know looking to get a buyer for this team, and Allen and company are out there looking for potential buyers. So you know I, I don't know if we're going to you know I, I do wonder if we're going to see any extensions because you know with the Wolpons right now in flux, uh, you know they might wait until a new owner comes in, and then we'll see you know who gets signed or who doesn't. So until then, it might just be you know a mandate that you know they're not going to really go out and extend anybody at this point. You know maybe Degrom was the last big one for a while until we you know find out who the next owner is going to be. But uh, yeah, you know going back to your point about you know keeping things fresh, I mean that that's the biggest thing, and, and I think that's the biggest thing I took away from your thread was that you know the predictability factor of it. You know hitters are smart, and there's so much data out there, and, and you know there's so many conduits now for organizations that they're going to study stuff that you did. Where you look at you know pitches and where they're most likely going to end up, or you know the uh, the heat maps of, of certain pitches in certain counts, and they use that and, and they use that in their in their scouting and, and, and their you know the process and the you know game plans they go ahead before the game, and uh, you know if they know that you know a certain pitch is going to end up at a certain part of the plate, you know sixty percent of the time or, or, or whatever the case may be, you know they're going to use that to their advantage. So I think that's a huge aspect that you brought up with Syndergaard in particular is you know keeping that unpredictability factor because he's got such good and nasty stuff where, you know, if you, and if you look at, you know, his rankings on, you know, his baseball savant page, I mean, you know, a lot of, you know, still a lot of the high 80 percentile for, you know, exit velocity and hard hit rate. I mean, his fastball velocity, we all know is, is phenomenal. And, uh, you know, his ex, you know, his ex, uh, excuse me, expected weighted on base average is also 80 percentile. So he's still putting up great numbers. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the thing with him is that there's an even higher level that he can get because we, we've all seen flashes of what Syndergaard can do when he's on. And, um, you know, I think the big thing for him is just taking that next step and hopefully utilizing some of the, uh, some of the metrics out there to understand, you know, how to better utilize those weapons that he has in his arsenal to his advantage. And I, and I think he will. And, you know, I think we saw, too, uh, he looked like he regained a little bit of trust in his slider uh, late in the year last year. And it's funny because, you know, we all talk about how his slider, you know, obviously the, the, the velocity was down on his slider last year, uh, and, you know, and pretty significantly. I mean, you know, in 2018, he averaged a 92-mile-per-hour slider, and in 2019, it was down to 89.1. 
Um, but if you look at his overall numbers, though, I mean, he still had a 194 expected weighted on base average on his slider. He still had almost a 40% whiff rate. Um, exit velocity was, you know, 85.4 miles per hour. So he still had pretty good success with his slider. Um, so I hope to see that used more as a weapon next year um, because, you know, he did dip down about 5% less sliders last year than he did in 2018. So, um, you know, I think, like you're right, I think there there is another gear that Syndergaard can get into. And, you know, the good thing would be for that would, you know, that, that could happen from this is that, you know, he helps propel the Mets to the playoffs this year. And the bad thing would be that he's just going to make himself a little bit more <laughs> more expensive down the line. But, uh, you know, those are decisions that you – that you want to have down the line. You want these guys to do well. And, uh, you know, a competent organization, especially one that's in New York, you know, really shouldn't worry too much about, you know, these guys being priced out. You want to worry about winning and keeping your, your core intact. And, and Syndergaard, you know, by all intents and purposes, is a core player that uh, should be built around, as, as you know, along with DeGrom. Well, DeGrom, that's our, that's our guy. And if Noah Syndergaard needs a blueprint for uh, – and I'm going to take a page out of Mickey Calloway's book here, pitching with conviction. Um, DeGrom's the way to go. I mean, this is a guy who 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 found who uh, I should say honed his craft to the point where he's pretty much unstoppable. He throws every pitch with confidence, um, and Syndergaard's stuff rivals. Um, I, I guess Syndergaard's stuff can put him on that level, and I think throwing with confidence and and really not just throwing but pitching. Is is the next step Syndergaard's going to take? Because, uh, like you were just saying, his secondary stuff is just so nasty and still so effective that all all major league hitters have to do is wait that stuff out and and attack him where where he's vulnerable, which is on his fastball. Which that's tough when the ball's coming at you ninety nine miles an hour. Um, these guys, you know, they're just they're timed well enough and they're waiting it out and uh, they almost know what's coming without a trash can banging which is very impressive but <laughs> um you know it, all he has to do is look at DeGrom now DeGrom coming off of two straight NL Cy Young seasons uh spoke on Wednesday a little bit about um I guess his aspirations to take home a third consecutive uh, NL Cy Young which would put put him in in extremely lofty company uh between Pedro and Greg, I think Greg Maddox and who's my other National League four-time winner? Come on, think, uh, Randy Johnson, I believe. Randy Johnson, thank you. Those yes. are my, those are the other two four-time winners. I was going to say Pedro, but I think he only won three in a row, right? I think, yeah, I think he only. Well, no, I think the only ones that actually won three in a row, or at least three in a row, were Maddox and Johnson. I don't think Pedro ever won three in a row. He actually won two in a row. Right, uh, ninety-nine, in, two thousand. Right, and then he had the other one in 97 with Montreal. Oh, with Montreal, very yes. good. See, oh, Matt, you, you, you just locked yourself up a, a regular rotation spot on the show, my man. Hey, man, sign me up. <laughs> <laughs> so DeGrom, he made it pretty clear that, yeah, that's in the back of his mind. He wants to go ahead and secure that hardware, but he's got other hardware on his mind, and he, he, he wants a, a World Series championship. And um, judging by his willingness to sign with the Mets long term, he wants to bring that championship here. Uh, do you see him, I guess it's tough to say, do you, do you, I should say <laughs> it's tough to see him not competing for a third straight NL Cy Young Right. But keeping up this level of productivity and just this level of elite performance, um, do you think that it's too much to ask for a guy, or do you think DeGrom is the is the guy who's going to step into those shoes? Boy, you know, I tell you, it doesn't seem like anything really phases DeGrom that much, man. I mean, this guy... You can't, you can't slow him down. <laughs> not at all. I mean, listen, I mean, if you want to compare 2019 to 2018... I mean, that was a bad year for him in 2019. If you're looking at 2018, I mean, 2018 was obviously an all-time generational year that he had with, you know, I mean, a, a sub-2 FIP and, a, you know, a whip of uh, 0.912. But, I mean, you know, last year, I mean, st to still go out, strike out 250-plus batters, uh, you know, have less than 50 walks, um, you know, he still posted a whip under one. Uh, his strikeout totals were even better. Strikeout per nine was 11.3. I mean, the guy's an absolute stud, and it wouldn't surprise me in the least if he goes out and has another phenomenal season. I mean, the guy really takes care of his takes care of his business off the field as well. Uh, you know, I remember when uh, Smoltz talked to him about you know doing two bullpens, uh, and he took that to heart. And this guy's a student of the game. And and uh, if you think about it too, 
you know, obviously he, he, he doesn't have a ton of mileage on his arm when you consider that he was a shortstop at Stetson University. Um, and the fact that, you know, he hasn't really had, knock on wood, any serious injuries over the last several years. Uh, obviously, you know, years ago he had Tommy John, but I mean, he's been a, a, a force and uh, just a, a stud at the top of the rotation for the Mets that thinking that he can't go out and have another tremendous year. Uh, after what he just what, after what he just did last year, and if you look at his metrics from 2019 to 2018, I mean everything is just right, lockstep in line with everything there. I mean, really didn't see much drop off. Um, the, the guy is just an absolute animal, and he's a student of the game. And going back to Hefner again, I think Hefner is going to be a guy that will be able to see any little subtle differences or anything, any keys that might be able to help Degrom get even better. Um, you know, I, I think I think I saw a quote the other day. I think Pedro. Uh, went up to Degrom during the All Star game this year and said that he, you know, this year he looked like he was pitching mad, you know, and uh, and there was talk that you know he, potentially he was tipping pitches, um, but you know, he still went out. <laughs> I mean, he still went out and posted you know a phenomenal year with the you know the two point four three ERA and and you know and that's coming off a one point seven ERA year in twenty eighteen. So with him, uh, you know, he's such a competitor, he's such a workhorse, and you know he's a guy that is literally just a guy that goes in there, takes care of his business. And then five days later, it goes out and does it again. I mean, he is like the definition of consistency that fans need to see this guy in the biggest stages in the postseason because, boy, he, he is fun to watch, man, on a nightly basis. And uh, I really love the rest of the uh, baseball world out there to see him, you know, more often in the postseason because he is something special. And I think he's, uh, you know, he's, he, his trajectory, man, is on a Hall of Fame career at this point. He puts him another few big years like that. And, I mean, another Cy Young Award. Another Cy Young Award. Uh, I don't know how, how you don't get into the Hall of Fame with three Cy Youngs. So, uh, he is definitely, um, you know, we're, we're witnessing, you know, an historic Met pitcher, and uh, we should all be really impressed at what he's putting up. Oh, without a doubt. And I think we're of, we're of a certain age that we remember those those two years that Pedro had, 99 and 2000, where he was just the best pitcher on the planet. Nobody could touch him. And, um, you know, Jacob deGrom is certainly in that realm over the past two seasons. And I know you mentioned that, you know, there was talk that he might have been tipping pitches last season. Well, I I see a very, very close, uh, I guess, link to Mariano Rivera, who no matter who he faced, no matter who was at the plate, they knew what was coming every single pitch and still couldn't hit him. Great point. So even if hitters knew what was coming from Jacob deGrom at some point last year, they still couldn't touch him. That's that's what That's the level that he's at right now. And I think that... Like you said, with Hefner in the fold, uh, everyone's ceiling just got a little bit higher, and that's that's really exciting for a, a staff of this caliber. Oh, no question, no question. And I think he's going to be such an invaluable uh, member of this organization, and and to be able, like I said, he was a conduit with with the Twins, where he was an advanced scout, and he worked, um, you know, to decipher the information that he was getting, you know, from the front office of the players in his final year with the Twins before he came over here. Um, you know, he's a guy that that is going to be able to talk to these players and pitchers because he was a pitcher in his own right. You know, unfortunately his career didn't go the way, you know, he wanted to with the, he had uh, multiple Tommy John surgeries, but uh, he's a very smart and young um, student of the game that is well-respected. And, and it's funny, I, I spoke with um, Stephen Gonzalez uh, this off season who uh, the Mets, I think he was actually with the first uh, transaction they made. They got him off waivers from the twins. He's a lefty and he was a, you know, a top prospect for a couple of years um, and, you know, he brought him in as depth. Uh, he could be, you know, uh, could be a starter in, in AAA or it could be a long man, you know, see what happens. But uh, when I told him at the time, because I spoke with him, I believe it was like mid-November. And um, there was at that point, it was just rumors that Hefner was, you know, a potential candidate for the Mets pitching coach role. And um, I said to him, you know, I, I know you pitched a little bit with Minnesota uh, when Hefner was there, uh, you know, and there's talk that Hefner might join the Mets. What are your thoughts about that? And it, I mean, the first thing he tells me, he goes, man, I have the biggest smile on my face right now. I had not did not hear that Hefner was, was interviewing, but I sure hope he gets the job. I mean, he could not rave more about Hefner. And this is a guy, you know, just a, you know, a minor league pitcher that got to work with him just for a little bit. So, you know, to get that kind of response from a guy that, you know, had a handful of times to work with Hefner uh, really left a strong impression on me. Um, and I, I think that he is just going to be such a valuable source uh, of information for, for these guys. And, um, you know, it, we could even see, I mean, it's scary, scary to think, that DeGrom could even elevate to a higher level than he already has shown. But, again, I don't put anything past him, and, and his talent level is is just off the charts. Well, yeah, and I guess in the same vein as Hefner kind of being a, uh, a conduit for that information, 
I mean, the Mets' new manager, Louis Rojas. He, he, he had that job last season and, by all accounts, did a phenomenal job kind of transferring uh, data from the front office to the players. Now, if you're building a coaching staff out of all guy, uh, out of, you know, coaches who can all interpret, uh, interpret and kind of send off this information and use it in a positive and, and productive way with each individual player, boy, they could be really be building a, a little powerhouse here. Um, and that starts at the top. And I kind of, I, I don't know if I attribute that to Brody directly, but I do have to tip my cap. He's kind of telling – he's doing what he told us he was going to do. He's building a deep roster, um, accountability, and, yeah, maybe he didn't always take the right first step. <laughs> but uh, their plan they have in place now, and even when it was Beltran at the helm, um, you know, he had that type of foresight in mind where, you know, we want to take information and utilize it in the correct ways. Uh and I think Rojas is he's going to pick pick up right where Beltran would have left off. I'm very excited, Matt. I'm very, very excited. And I tell myself every year I'm not going to get ahead of myself and I'm not going to get too too amped up. But, man, I am um, I am psyched. I, I, I dig the Pakoda projections that have the Mets win in the East. Um, they have the second highest playoff odds. As per baseball prospectus, uh, behind the Dodgers, who came in at a extremely hot 99.9% chance to make the postseason. Uh, that's a shoe in before the season starts. That's, uh, I'll take it, but okay. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, but the Mets are, you know, they have them at around 75%. And that's, that's exciting for a, a major publication to kind of give us, us, give the Mets credit like that. Um, it's exciting. You know, it almost makes the hype feel a little bit more real. And, you know, <laughs> beauty's in the eye of the beholder, but boy, we we got some real beauties on this team, man, and uh it's going to be um it's going to be an exciting year. No, 100%. I, I love your optimism and you know, <laughs> No, and I and I do share I do share a lot of that with you to be honest with you. And again, you know, I I, I try to look I try to look and be positive, and, and I think there are a lot of positives here, like we've mentioned throughout this whole podcast. And, um, you know, I, with every team, you know, you have to obviously worry about the bullpen, and that's going to be the biggest thing with, with the Mets is that, you know, Familia comes back 30 pounds lighter, talking about, you know, his rhythm was off last year, and, and the you know, extra weight affected the way he, his mechanics were. Diaz working, you know, and I think the big thing, and I think, um, I, I, I'm, and I'm going to botch her last name, so I'm just going to say Michelle. I know the last, can, what's her last name? Uh, I, Ayanu? Ayanu, thank you. Okay, Michelle. I, I, and, and Michelle, if I screwed that up, I'm so sorry, but I think I got it right. <laughs> and Michelle, if Tim screwed it up, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but she made a great point about Diaz, and she said that, you know, instead of him, you know, taking what happened last year in his first year in New York and, you know, being, uh, you know, dejected by it and not doing anything about it, he went and sought out advice and tutelage from one of the greatest pitchers that we've ever seen in Pedro Martinez. And then Mike also brought up the point about, you know, he changed his, uh, his, hand, um, his hand release, um, which looks like it's going back to his days in Seattle. So clearly he is a man on a mission, and I think we're going to see hopefully a bounce back here from Diaz as well. And again, Patances too is a big signing for the Mets, and I know really didn't pitch obviously in 2018 with all the injuries that he had. Excuse me, 2019 with all the injuries that he had. But I mean, this is a guy that from 2014 to 2018 was, you know, one of the top, probably three relievers in the game. Um, and as a guy that has experience, you know, very, very much experience in the back end of the bullpen. So he's going to be a welcome addition along with Justin Wilson and Brad Brock and Seth Lugo. I mean, uh, and then, you know, potentially too, Drew Smith at some point too, who, you know, we didn't see last year with Tommy John surgery. Um, the Mets have the ability and have, the chance to have a very deep bullpen if you even get a bounce back from one of the two from Familia and Diaz um, and then a healthy year from Batances. I mean, they definitely have the, the, the wherewithal to be one of the strongest bullpens in the game, no question. And I think that's really where it's going to kind of ride or die for the Mets next year is in their bullpen because we've seen that they have some, some you know, clear, clear monsters in the, in the, in the, in the lineup. Um, they have, you know, a really top-heavy uh, rotation, um, you know, and, and Steven Madsen, your number four, is not bad either. Um, so, yeah, I really, I'm excited for the season too, man, and I think that the optimism um, is legit, and I, I think that, you know, Met fans should go into the season 
really looking to, to – it's postseason or bust. It really is. And um, I know that sounds like the Yankees credo, but I think the Mets have every right to think that, and, and the fans should too. Awesome. I just I just wanted to feel validated with my unbridled optimism. <laughs> Absolutely. No, man, keep that up. Man. That's, <laughs> that's what I love about you, man. Your optimism is wonderful um, too many times. And I, and I, I myself am the to blame, too. I, you know, I get dejected. I get down. It's part of being a Mets fan. But I, I love the optimism, and I, I think it's, it's well-warranted when you really look, step back and look at this roster as a whole and see what the Mets have added uh, in terms of coaches and what they've added in terms of players. And, um, you know, I, I think there's definitely a lot to be excited for this year. Uh, no, no question. Well, I'm coming up on, like, 30 years of, like, full-season fandom. And, uh, yeah, we, we've seen some dark times. And, I, and I'm finding myself just – Absolutely enthralled with the idea of this roster all coming together at this time. Everyone's just, it, it's, yeah, they, you really, someone's going to have to dump a bucket of cold water on me because I'm just, I'm over the moon right now. But, you know, there's still a long season ahead of us. So, uh, but Matt, I think we hit on, we touched on all our bases for today. Um, you got anything coming out this week? I know you have so many great interviews always coming out. And, uh, folks, if you haven't checked it out, please check out Matt's, uh, Twitter account. Check him out on Matt's Marais. Uh, anything you want to plug, buddy? Oh, thanks, man. Well, thanks so much for that, uh, for that, for that. I appreciate it. Your checks in the mail. Um, <laughs> uh, so nothing this, I have two, so I'm behind a little bit. I have two that I, two interviews that I still have to transcribe and edit and put up. Um, one was with James Loney and one, and the other one is with, uh, JJ Putz, um, which I conducted a few weeks back with both. Um, so those will be coming out sooner rather than later. Uh, the most recent one I did, which was, which was a fun one was, uh, with John Updike, who was a former Mets scout and, uh, most notably known for signing Pete Alonso and Matthew Allen last year. And he, uh, he just left the organization actually this offseason. Uh, he joined a uh, software company called Baseball Cloud, which is a really exciting uh, tech organization uh, and software company that is, uh, you know, in using um, uh, metrics and, and Rhapsodos and, and tons of cameras and technology to uh, bring it to the amateur levels. But uh, that was a fun one that he really kind of, if you really want to know more about, uh, a scout's life and what he looks for, what he looks for in talent, and uh, how to assess talent and what he looks for off the field. Uh, that was a really, really fun one. That was a long interview, so it's broken up into two pieces. But uh, uh, so yeah, the other two that I have coming out sooner rather than later is with uh, Loney and uh, JJ Putz. Well, the 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 interview with John Updike was great. Um, oh, thanks. Really, man. it's such a such a really clear glimpse into what goes into the job and. Uh, I guess the, the rewards at the end of the rainbow, if you want to say, uh, just really very, very cool story. Um, and I got a follow from John Updike out of it. So everybody wins. Very nice. Very cool. <laughs> yeah, John, John, John is a really engaging um, and insightful guy that just like just gave me such a, a wealth of information, uh, more than I could have even asked for. I mean, there was about five or six more questions that I wanted to ask him, but we were already an hour and 10 minutes into the interview. I was like, I can't. I just can't take more of this guy's time. You know, he was just so, so endearing with, uh, with, with how, you know, how he wanted to share his information. And it's funny because there was one, one anecdote he shared, and I, I included it in the article, because he also signed uh, Jordan Humphreys. And, you know, he was telling me that really no one was scouting Humphreys at all. I mean, the guy was throwing, you know, mid to upper 80s, and, you know, nothing was jumping out on him. But the one thing that he, he really loved was his command. And, his, you know, he could basically put the ball wherever he wanted. Um, but this offseason, when, um, when Jordan was added to the uh, Mets 40-man, um, Jordan called John, and uh, John saw Jordan's number come up. And at first, you know, he's thinking like a dad. He's like, oh, no, what's going on? What's happening? You know, he's thinking the worst. He pulled over to the side of the road, and Jordan tells him, John, you know, I, I'm on the 40-man. I made it. And, and, and he said just tears started coming out, you know. So it's like it really is, you know, it's like this paternal feeling that these scouts have for these players and 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 the one thing he's told me too that stood out he said you know what when you really know that you made an impact is when guys you've signed go on to other teams and they still contact you because they they value your opinion and your input and he said that's when you know that this is all worth it they don't do it for a paycheck you know they don't make a ton of money scouting but what they do it for is to to impact other people's lives paying it forward and he was a former player himself john was and uh you know somebody gave him a chance you know years ago and he's uh he, he was looking to give it back to, to others, and uh, obviously he gave it back in one big way with Pete Alonso. So that's always one he's going to be linked for. But yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. I really I really enjoyed that interview. Oh, they, it was awesome, and I'm very um, I, I'd like to learn more about I guess what uh, what John's new company does 
because uh, that all is very, very interesting to me. My brother is a uh, athletic trainer at a D2 college, and uh, he just informed me over the weekend that their baseball team is investing in a rap soto. So I'm going up there, and I am <laughs> I'm going to be studying that throughout the season. I week. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, please report back, man. That is so cool. I'm I glad that wait. more and more teams are using Yeah, that's no, the investment's there. A lot more college teams are, you know, starting to invest that money, which rightfully so. I mean, the, the tech, you know, the technology is long. You have the technology, but you also have to know how to use it and utilize it and, and, and take those numbers and apply it. So I'd be very interested to hear, uh, hear what he has to say, man. So please, uh, please check back in. Well, I think we're going to have Brother Phil on the uh, on the uh, on the podcast at some point because he's all about uh, the kinetic chain, and 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 Brother Phil's going to explain all that to us. Uh, hopefully, at some point early in the season. Can't wait to hear that, man! Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Matt, again, thank you so much for coming on, man. Everybody, please give Matt Brownstein a follow. Uh, Matt, what's the Twitter handle? Uh, it is m brownstein eighty nine. Uh, excellent, and uh, of course, you guys know where to find us. Uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts, just search for Simply Amazing. If you enjoyed the show, please be so kind as to leave a, a five-star review, rate us, subscribe, all those good things. And uh, I believe we're going to be back on Monday morning with uh, – Jacob's going to be back. So, uh, yeah. And then I I want to say middle of the week, next week, we're going to have a very fun guest coming on. Uh, we're not going to announce it just yet. Just want to make sure everything is confirmed. But it's a dear friend from Twitter, and uh, I think it's going to be fun. But, guys, you know where to find us. We'll see you next time. Matt, thank you so much again for coming on, buddy. Thank you, sir. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. All right, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Let's go Mets. Let's go Mets!